0: Look at it with me is John, the 13th chapter, verse 34 and 35. Um, we'll reference some other stuff, but that's the meat of what we're talking about there. So if you would like to open your Bible there, you can. There's also a handout. Some of them are on yellow paper. Some are on white. I just ran out of yellow paper. So some of you have a yellow. Some of you have a white. But it's a two-sided. It's the growth groups. It's also the sermon outline. There has some space for you to... Uh, Write and take notes if you um, feel that there's something good to write down. I hope you do, but i in the process of preparing for this message, there is a paradox, and I wanted to share it with you. I really felt kind of divided between this this place as I was preparing the message is that it's such a simple message to preach, really. I mean, when you think about love and you think about what God's called us to do, I felt that's so simple to do and it's so simple to preach out. But then as I really started to uh, dive into the content of what, what I was going to be saying this morning, I, I found that it was an incredibly difficult passage to live. And so the, the paradox was that on the one hand, it's so easy to understand, so easy to, to know and to let sink into our, our minds, on the other hand, it's so difficult to let come out in the way that we live. I put a quote in there for you um, that I feel like says it really well, um, that it says the new command is simple enough for a toddler to memorize, and but it's profound enough that even the most mature believers are embarrassed, repetitively embarrassed, at how poorly we comprehend and put it into practice. Really, none of us could ever say, Um, that we have done a perfect job in keeping this basic commandment. It's a difficult thing. It's so easy to understand, and yet so hard to put into practice. Hopefully you'll be challenged in the same way that I was in the midst of that paradox this morning. I want to lead us in prayer, so will you join me? Father, as we dig into your word, in particular this command that Jesus gives... The prayer that I am going to ask boldly now is that we would not step back from the scripture. That we would not be afraid of what it says. That we wouldn't attempt to water it down. That we would not attempt to shy away from the truth that you would speak. That the passage and the words would come out plainly, but God also you would speak to our hearts. In particular, the places where we need to live this out in a better way. So God, speak to us. Don't hold back. We ask you to be active among us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to tell you a little bit of a story that that most of you know. It's about my knee. Um, I have had surgery on it recently. It was in the end of June. I had surgery to reconstruct my ACL. I tore that playing basketball. And in the process of doing this, um, physical therapy and the, and rehabbing from the injury and the surgery, I went through a couple different phases. I want to share you one of the, a couple of the phases I went through. At first I had, was told, don't do anything. Don't put any weight on this. Um, just completely take care of the surgical area. I liked that part, except that it hurts still really bad, but I liked that part because I just got, I mean, I sat in a chair. It was boring a lot of the times, but, but I, basically I was getting to kind of baby my leg. We went to the doctor at one point and I went in there and they looked at it and the, the words that they kind of used were, okay, you don't have to protect it anymore. And I thought, okay, uh, don't have to protect it. So in other words, they were saying, Tommy, we can take off the training wheels. Um, no longer are you just going to think about just flex your uh, muscle. No longer are we doing that. We're going to start working it. And so um, I got into this physical therapy routine where they pulled off the training wheels. We're not protecting the surgical area anymore. Now it's time to rehab it. And so I was tasked with regaining strength and motion in my knee. And we measured the motion uh, with flexion and extension. It was at the point where they told me we were going to take off the training wheels that I realized that the road ahead was going to be difficult. Many of you warned me. Yes, you did. But the road ahead was going to be very, very difficult. In fact, what I realized is that if I wanted to have a full life of playing sports, if I wanted to enjoy my life to the fullest with the range of motions going up and down stairs, being able to do the things that I wanted to do, that I was going to have to work hard and push through in some difficult areas. Well, today we're looking at a passage that kind of speaks the same. Jesus kind of pulls the training wheels off of this command of love. And he says, if you want to have a full life, Jesus talks about a full life in John 10, 10, He says, I give a full life. The devil steals your life. But if we want to have a full life as God intends, then we need to pull the training wheels off in the way in which we love. And we need to do it in a new way. So we're looking at this passage in John 13 today, and I'm convinced that there's a crossroads before us, just like I faced there in the physical therapy office, and just like we're going to face today. We're going to have an option to live differently, to go through the difficult road, to do what might not come naturally, or to continue down a road where we protect or baby, or nurture, Um, for me it was my knee, for us sometimes it's the way that we live our lives. There's going to be a crossroads, and I hope um, that you will, with me, choose the one that Jesus calls us to. But I want to give you a background of how we've approached this crossroads. Because there's there's a road that's led us up to where we are at. And really what that is, is the Old Testament. We have to understand that this call to love is not something that's brand new. It does say there's the word new, and we'll get to that later. But the call to love that Jesus gives is not something that just out of the blue, now you should love one another. It's in fact something that's happened all throughout Scripture In the Old Testament, God's plan has always been that we would love. And we look in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. That's perhaps one of the best places to see that. Um, It's called the Shema. It's a creed that is very central to um, a Jew's life. In fact, um, Jesus and many other good Jews would, would in fact have said that the Shema, these verses, sum up, The Torah, or the book of the, the books of the law. This really sums up really what it means to live as God's called us to, according to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 4, or 6, verse 4 and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And so this fundamental creed, really became the backbone by which they lived their lives, to love God. There's another passage I want to show you in Leviticus chapter 19. This one is just verse 18. It says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What I want you to see is that it has always been God's intention That his people would be known and characterized by their love. It is always from the beginning being God's plan that we would be marked by our love for him and for one another. He wants us to be known by that. And so this is a road that leads us up to where we're at today. It's not new idea that Jesus says to love. That's something that they all know. And with this history, we approach a crossroads and we turn our attention to what is new. What's the new part when Jesus says a new command I give to you? What's new about it? The new part is that it's a new standard by which we measure our love. The new thing is the standard. It's not the command. It's not the idea of loving. The new thing is the standard. Jesus says love as I have loved you. Love your neighbor as yourself, but love as I have loved you. Jesus loved with a love that gave of himself. Jesus loved with a love that was sacrificial. And so when Jesus says, love like I love, yeah, this is new. This is very new. Suddenly, my brother, my neighbor, becomes more important than I am. And now listen, I want you to know, I am already really, really challenged by the idea of just loving my neighbor. If I only look at Old Testament, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm already challenged by that. That's already difficult for me. I love myself a lot. I like to do things for me a lot. It's, it comes no trouble at all for me to please myself in my own desires. That comes so very naturally. I enjoy it. I love it. If you want to assist me in that, it makes me happy. I love myself. And likely you're the same way. You love doing things that you love doing. It it just makes sense. So when I have to love somebody else the way I love myself, that's already really hard. I already struggle with that because I love myself a lot. And likely you do too. And so when we carry this thinking into what Jesus has called us to do, this loving sacrifice, so often the place we get to when we come to these crossroads is we think that, well, since Jesus loved you that way, I don't have to. We often think that Jesus' sacrifice kind of erases our responsibility to do it. Well, since he did, I don't have to. I'll just show you that he did, and that'll be good. And then I can still maybe try and love you like I love myself. I just want to show you that's so watering down what this is saying. And this is the part where I really started to be challenged myself, is that we get this idea that, The gospel is all about pointing at Jesus and what Jesus has done. And it's his sacrifice. Oh, how he loves you. He loves you. He sacrificed for you. We're really good at pointing at Jesus and saying, look at that love. But the command that Jesus gives us here is to do it ourselves. This is the place that bugged me. Because I like to preach about what Jesus did. I like to tell everybody else, this is what Jesus did, this is how much he loves you. But Jesus says, I should do that. I'm fine with preaching the gospel that Jesus has done. I'm really struggling with living out the gospel myself. And I know that you do too. We struggle with self-sacrificing love. We're supposed to give ourselves like Christ gave Himself. We're supposed to stop being so concerned with our own interests and to start paying attention to the interests of others. Philippians 2.4 says, Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. We're supposed to serve at the feet of those who might betray us. Jesus, in fact, washed the feet of one who would betray him. We are supposed to give our lives for those who would repetitively deny us. In fact, in John 13, 38, Peter we know will deny Jesus. And Jesus is even going to give his life in the midst of that denial. You and I are called to love differently. It's more than just leveling out the scales. It's more than just loving other people with the same degree that I love myself. It's loving in such a way that every ounce of logic you have within you would label and call it absurdity. That's the way that we're supposed to love. Let me tell you how that works. I'm laying on the table in the doctor's office on Thursday afternoon. I'm in fact laying... On my stomach, my leg is hanging off the back end of the table. You see, I've, uh, I work on um, the flexion part and I work on the um, extension part. Well, I've not done so good with the extension. And there's um, these exercises where they're like kind of really just, I mean, imagine doing it. It hurts. And so I'm laying there on the table. We're extending my leg and then we're bending my leg. And by we, I mean like the guys doing it for me. Um, <laughs> what I'm doing as I'm holding a towel. I'm not exaggerating one ounce. I, I promise. If I'm exaggerating, I'll tell you. But this is not exaggeration. I'm biting the towel in my mouth. Sweat is dripping on the table. There is a, I mean, a puddle, a puddle of sweat on the table, and um, I am nearly in tears. And so he he bends my leg up. My back starts to spasm. I hit the table, and he's like, "That hurt, huh?" I said, "Oh, it hurt." <laughs> I shout out loud while I'm laying on the table, this is insane! And yes it was. Every ounce of who I was, every bit of my heart, every bit of my brain, all of my nerves, everything within me said, Tommy, this is absolute insanity. I could quit. I could decide not to do it because it doesn't make logical sense. I'm putting myself through more. And those of you who have had knee surgery, you know and you've told me this is the most intentional type of pain, most self-inflicted pain you probably will ever do. It's so hard to drive yourself through that type of pain. It's so difficult because it doesn't make any sense at all to do that. And you and I, when we see this command that Jesus gives today, we're really good at listening to the absurdity. We're really good at saying, that's insane. Surely Jesus didn't mean that I would do that. He just wants me to say, look what Jesus did, not do it myself. Well, you can believe that, but you're watering down the passage. Because we're really good at making excuses. Sometimes we feel like this passage should just inspire us to love other people. Well, Jesus is just teaching this to give us inspiration for the way in which we love. That's a good excuse. We also come up with other excuses that... I'm just going to try to love other people that way. That's an excuse. We think that, you know, Jesus is just saying what he should do, but Jesus was God. So I'm not God. So therefore, I really can't do that. We always use this logic where we say, I have to love myself before I can love anybody else. Well, surely I have to take care of myself before I can take care of anybody else. That's the logic we use. That's a great excuse. We always say that um, I don't have time to do that. My my schedule is really full. I have a family that really takes up most of my time, so surely I can't love anybody else in that way. We say that we don't know how. Um, I I just don't know. I don't have enough knowledge. I'm really not sure what to do. I don't know what to say in those moments. We use the excuse that it wouldn't be fair. I could never, that would not be fair to me. It wouldn't be fair to my spouse. It wouldn't be fair to my family. It wouldn't be fair. We always say that I just didn't have any extra. I didn't have any extra time. I was so busy I didn't even have time to eat lunch today. We always use that excuse. Sometimes we use the excuse we just didn't have any extra money. Well, I didn't have any extra money. I couldn't have showed them love that way. I didn't have any money with me. It's a great excuse. We'll even take the excuses to the very specific. That person didn't seem receptive to me. I tried to talk to them and they just didn't respond. Or other people were already talking to her and so I didn't really have a chance to talk to her because they were. And you always think, well, if I just give right now, I just won't have any money left to pay my bills. We, I could rattle on excuses for like the rest of our time together because you, just like me, have an incredibly long list of excuses. The, the hard reality is that when I look at the life of Jesus and I look at the way he's called us to live, he doesn't give us the space to make an excuse. He gives us the space to or the opportunity to live out an excellent life. He doesn't give us space so that we can make excuses. In fact, the space He gives us is so that we can live excellent lives, so that we can love one another. That's the space He gives us. And a lot of times we take that and we use it to fill it up with excuses. And excuses are great, and they make sense, and they're true. But I want to tell you this, and it's it's something that we've been really chiming as one of our uh, anthems in student ministry. We've said, we're not going to pursue excuses. We're going to pursue excellence. We're not going to pursue excuses. We're going to pursue excellence. I can always come up with an excuse, but I don't want to pursue excuses. I want to pursue excellence. My challenge to you today is really, really simple. It's that you would declare bankruptcy in your life. I don't know if you've ever been in the place where financially bankruptcy is an option. Thankfully, that's not something I've had to heavily consider. But certainly you would know what that might feel like, to financially have to declare bankruptcy. Sometimes I try and declare bankruptcy on my email. Anybody else would love to do that. We'd love to just look at our email box and say, I'm sorry, I'm bankrupt. Let's wipe it clean and start all over. We'd love to do that. My challenge for you is so much bigger than those things, financial or even an email my challenge is that you would declare everything in your life a loss except the sake of knowing and loving as Christ has. That nothing else even comes close to mattering like that. And when you say everything in my life is a loss except the way in which I love and pursue Jesus, then you're going to find that, well, you're going to find some inconsistencies in your life. Because you'll realize that so often we demand that things happen the way we want them to. We have this big list of things that we want. And we we never hardly ever consider what it might be like to accomplish the list that someone else has. What's their list say? How much time have you spent filling out accomplishing your list? And how much time have you spent on someone else's list? What about within church? You have a list of the things you want to happen in worship. Are you pursuing your list or someone else's? I just wonder. I wonder how much time you've spent consuming the things of your own, consuming stuff yourself, consuming life, consuming money, consuming time, consuming recreation, and how much have you given to others? How much have you given away in service and in love of others? How much time this summer? Have you given to making sure your lawn looks great, your shrubbery, your grass, your flower bed, your vegetable garden? And how much time have you given to your neighbors? How much time have you spent on our church lawn? How much time have you spent picking up litter around our city? I wonder how much time you've spent reading the newspaper, reading books for entertainment, watching television, being on the Internet, going to the movies, going fishing, hanging out at the lake, being at the beach, and how much time have you spent intentionally loving someone that you run across every single day who's crying out for love? You know, when we think about it, it's flat-out embarrassing how much we spend on ourselves, how much time and effort and energy. You know, we could talk about money, too. How much do we consume ourselves? And how much have we reserved to give away to those that we could show love to? On your growth groups, it's going to challenge you to do a ratio in that regard. And I, and I want you guys, if you're not in a growth group, look through that and do ratios. Because it will open your eyes to the, how much stuff you have declared that you're going to consume yourself. In other words, self-love. And how much you're loving others. And, and in the process of looking at those ratios, you must ask the question, is this being marked? by the love of others the way Jesus would love others does the world know about Jesus does the world know the gospel by the way in which i live my life it's a tough question but it's one that we will we will have to focus on today i told you at the beginning and i'll tell you again this is not hard to understand we live the gospel we know the gospel It's the gospel that we point to Jesus and we say, Jesus loved you. But God's called us to do more than that. More than just pointing. God's called us to say, look at the way I love. That's how Jesus loves you. Could you do that to somebody this week? Could you say, the way in which I love you is the way in which Jesus loves you? It's my challenge for you today, and it's not just mine, it's Jesus. It's his words, and I know it's strong but it's His challenge to us. And so as we approach our time of communion and our time of invitation, if you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, because I want to tell you, you can't do this without Him. You're not by yourself capable of this. But with Christ living in and through you, you are. So maybe you need to make that decision today. And if so, I'll just invite you to come during our song of invitation, but also as we prepare for communion. I want you to think about the love it took for Jesus to die after washing the feet of the one who betrayed him, dying for the one who repetitively denied him, and dying for you and I, what type of love was that? And how might he be calling you to love differently this week? Let's think about those things as we stand and sing together.